0: Hi, I'm James Brooks, and welcome to From the Factory Floor, a conversational podcast about all things startup and tech, brought to you by the folks at thestartupfactory.tech. So, welcome to episode 20 of From the Factory Floor. So, last week we spoke to Tom from FreeUp about his shift from academics over to the startup world and how that journey's been. Now, one of the first things obviously he would have had to do is what we're going to talk about today is building his first revenue budget. So handing over to two people who really know what to talk about this, my perennial co-host now, Ian is with us, and also Elliot is making a welcome return. Afternoon, chaps.
1: Hi, James. Hi, Ian. Thanks for inviting me back. You did well enough on the last one that
0: you made the cut for this one. So when we're talking about our first revenue budget for startups, what is it we're actually talking about, Ian?
2: Well, I think it's kind of linked to the title of the podcast really from the factory floor. You are coming now from the factory floor literally to kind of engaging those first customers. Having done your pilots, your prototyping and your testing, you've kind of got your product ready and product market fit. So really it's it's all about that first year, first 12 months revenue budgets, thinking about sales targets, thinking about your go-to-market strategy, about your objectives, but also that is the start really of the monetization of a startup. As I'm sure Elliot will, will talk us through. Kind of people get a little bit overly optimistic. You know, they refuse that positive which you need. But you've got to be mindful of costs and cash flow as well as revenue. So it's not quite as straightforward as it looks.
0: No, I mean the thing you mentioned there. It's obviously it's about you know at the end of the day, if you want to run a startup, you want it to make money. So being able to show how you Balance out your costs and understanding where those costs are going to come from is obviously a big part of that. And then, like you say, you know, we see a lot of people whose expectations and sort of predictions—you know, one million revenue in year one—might be slight in the optimistic range of things. So, I mean, Elliot, what when we talk about sort of the considerations, what are the main things from your perspective? Obviously, so you've worked with a lot of startups building these.
1: I think that one of the first points I'll probably make is we do hear a lot about budgets and and the word forecasts as well. You know, it's a lot of people think that they're kind of the same thing. And we do tend to, you know, people will, most people that have been in the business will have, you know, done a budget or a forecast at some point. We tend to think of them more to do with doing business plans, finance applications, investor decks, et cetera. But quite often businesses don't use them as a kind of internal document. They kind of do the forecast and then they kind of get put away in the drawer to kind of gather dust. And then they don't really, you know, think about how they're then going to kind of monetize the product, how, how they're going to scale it over a period of time, the personnel that they're going to need to do that, what the go-to-market strategy is, etc. So one of the things I would say to, to start with is, you know, budgets are all about kind of managing the details, whereas forecasts look more at the kind of bigger picture, more use for a kind of high-level kind of strategy and kind of business goals but overall they they tend to kind of go hand in hand first thing i'd probably say that i normally tend to look at when building up a a forecast is look at the kind of revenue side of things you've got to look at your pricing what your income streams are how the sales are going to be made up are these are these sales of products where you're going to look at kind of units sales of things are they going to be subscriptions which we tend to get quite often in the kind of tech side of things. We tend to deal with a lot of the kind of SaaS kind of style businesses with the software as a service. Is it hours? Is it one-off? Is it recurring? How is it going to grow? Obviously, you're going to have to have assumptions in there for some kind of growth model. Is there going to be churn on the number of customers? There's a whole host of kind of considerations that you you have to think of when you're building these models up. So it's not just kind of a, a process of picking that you know, model of choice, which is normally Excel to kind of build it up. It's not really just a kind of plug-and-play thing. You have to really put some thought into the process before you actually sit down to put these things together.
2: It's a really good point there, Elliot. There's two things that I could pick up on. People often prepare these and and kind of the the blindly optimistic, but then they put them in the drawer, as you indicated, and they don't use them as a reference point. Whereas I still think your first 12 months budget, being revenue and cost and cash flow, (laughs) You're still testing, you know. You're still testing that commercial validity. So I I do think 12 months, but break it down into into quarterly chunks and really look at your underlying assumptions that that you've made around it, and, and you're testing those assumptions on a quarterly basis. The other thing you mentioned, which I think is key, is pricing. And you know, we've worked hard with a number of our startups to actually look at the unit cost and the scaling impact. Because unit cost and margin adding to your price is something, again, which people often forget. A number of meetings I've been in with some founders where they just crater straight away on price. And, of course, the whole financial model of the business goes out the window. So think about your pricing strategy, how you've determined your price, what the market existing market rates are or, or competitive pricing, what margins you're looking at. And then you're into volumes and discounts type of customer, etc. So it is, it is, you know, it does need some deep thought and thinking through, as you said, the process is actually important as how you arrive at the price, how you arrive at the volumes, and then ultimately how you arrive at that budget.
0: I mean one of the things you mentioned and we've mentioned it a couple of times is the word optimistic when it comes to building your revenue forecasts and your revenue model. How optimistic should you be? You know, is it something where you should really look at what other people in them sort of in that space are doing. Is it something where you'd be looking at, you know, I think this is a reasonable estimate because let's face it, when it comes to startups, we do tend to be very optimistic about what we're going to do and how everyone else is going to interact it with how much we like the startup and our own product.
1: I think where some I think some where some people go wrong is we're all used to this saying, you know, think big. And there's nothing wrong with that clearly when we set up a business if we've got aspirations you've got to think of the bigger you know the bigger picture investors want to see financial models that are put together where founders have got you know aspirations and that's obviously correct but I think there's got to be an air of realism to this when you put in things together you've got to know you've got to know your market you've got to know your size of market if you've got a USP You know, you've got to know that you're going to go into that market and, you know, you're going to win some customers, maybe from competitors. So in your assumptions, you can kind of build it up from there. But what you can't just assume is you're going to get 50% of the marketplace, as an example, from a standing start in your kind of first year and build up to 10, 15 million, 20 million pound revenue plus. There has to be realistic assumptions. What I tend to do with some people is, you know, maybe put a couple of models together, two or three models uh, initially. You know, one where you're kind of really realistic and maybe conservative to a certain degree. One where you, you know, you've really put some much higher growth assumptions in there and you'll probably end up producing something that's somewhere in the middle. That tends to be a little bit more, you know, realistic and something that can be achievable. Also, as well in your kind of early, early stage um, businesses, I, I also say don't build a model that's really rigid. A lot of changes in the early stages of a middle of a business and I think you have to be prepared sometimes to move with the times and things that happen you know there's a lot of moving parts in the early stages you have to be prepared to sit down and re-look at things again at the end of the day it is a, it's a projection it's, it's, it's a forecast it's not going to be completely accurate but I think there does come times when you have to sit down sometimes rip up what you've done before and look, have a look at it again. Hopefully things go better than what you've what you what you've hoped. Sometimes things might not necessarily go as well as you hoped, but if you've got a good grip of the numbers, you can use that then to actually help you make some sound financial decisions as the business moves forward. So I
0: guess there's a balance there, though, between obviously being flexible, that like we said you need to be because things won't always go as planned, but also then putting in the detail required to have a level of accuracy. So, I mean, when we're talking about detail in that sort of regard, how, again, it kind of goes, how detailed does someone need to be? They need to be going down to the pence kind of level of the uh, this invoice is going to come in, it's going to be a £17.98, or is it sort of just having that? F- how do you balance that, basically, with the flexibility?
2: I think the thing that Elliot said, for me, which is a really, really good takeaway, first-time founders listening to this podcast, is, build different versions of your budget you know best case worst case expected case um, and then within that you kind of you can start to look at some sensitivities on the detail James so you know best case worst case expected case build three versions and, and look at your assumptions and, and, and reflect on that I think in terms of level of detail I am an advocate of detailed assumptions but not going to 17 pound 98 pen level I think it's you know, in a, a sales plan, it's, it's about your objectives, you know, which markets, how many customers, which customer types. Have you identified different segments in your market? So, there's, there's, you know, you identify customers that maybe buy one of your thing one a month, or buy five a month, or buy 10 a year, kind of segment your market. And that's where the detail needs to go in, I think, into your assumptions in that first year. And then you can start to learn as the quarter one, quarter two, quarter three goes over what the metrics and what the growth cycle looks like to inform you. Now you've done all that through your MVP and the piloting and your customer testing. Now you're actually testing your financial model in terms of the scalability of the financing and the cash flow. And the other thing around that, of course, is you know at the very outset thinking through what your sales process and what your marketing process is. So, yeah, though from a finance point of view you need accurate
1: Targeted numbers.
2: I wouldn't obsess on finessing the detail. I'd look at look at your assumptions. I'm going to win 20 customers a month in the first three months. That's a good metric. You know, that's a good target to start looking at and, and look at that level of detail. How do I win 20 customers? Why haven't I won 20? Why have I won 25?
1: I think that's a, a really important point that you've you've made, Eric. And it's actually using using the forecast to help you make or understand why effectively and use use the data that comes out and that's both in terms of budgeting but also in terms of kind of comparing what you actually achieve compared to what you actually budget and then using that data then to help help affect the future. So as Ian kind of said then it's 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 asking the why. We thought we'd do twenty, we only did 10 as an example. Why did we only do 10? Or if you've done 25 or you've done 30, how have we done 30 and how can we use them metrics then and how we've achieved that to do 40, 50, 60 ongoing, I think that's something that doesn't tend to be looked at so often. It tends to be, you know, we've exceeded budget or we're under exceeded budget. You look at your variance, but quite often nobody really looks at the why or the how. And that's predominantly one of the most important things, really.
2: It is. And that lines itself, Elliot, to your point about building flexibility in these budgeting models. You know, being able to say what if. So flexing your pricing, flexing the units yourself, flexing the number of customers per month, per quarter, kind of gives you that forward view and kind of where's the business going because a lot of people kind of set a budget and then forget about it. Actually, you know, the time period is is important. You know, the title of this podcast is the first 12 months. But once you're into kind of three, six months, you should be thinking about extending that. And I've always liked to encourage people to have a role in 12 months because you're actually embedding the learning and what what you're doing now into that forward view. And you can have a, you know, set some stretch targets, but look at your growth targets. And, and you know, one of the things, of course, around this is cost. You know, we can all kind of be very ambitious in our revenue targets. but What's the cost of actually achieving it in terms of sales and marketing and the number of salespeople you need in your team? So I think it is kind of, there's, there's a lot going on and just not getting giddy about achieving your It's What are we learning? Where's the business going?
0: So I guess one of the points I really wanted to dig into with this was because obviously both got vast amounts of experience, both building these in the first place and then managing them, like you say, through the first 12 months and then obviously using that as a rolling 12 month thing, because we have seen where people have started trying to forecast way into the future. And I wonder how many people back in uh, 2015 predicted uh, last year would have been interesting, but um, what are the biggest pitfalls that you've seen, or sort of mistakes to avoid when it comes to building your first revenue budget?
1: I think it's the thing we touched on really—it's being completely unrealistic, not necessarily you knowing your marketplace, underestimating your costs. I think is another thing that crops up quite often. It's because you know we call this podcast, you know, building your first revenue budget because clearly, you know, without without any revenue, there isn't there isn't any business. So but quite often the the cost side of things tends to get, you know, kind of brushed over. Things don't get looked at, such as, you know, what's what's your cost of acquisition going to be in terms of gaining a customer? You know, we can all build up a revenue forecast in Excel with, you know, massive amounts of customers, but where are we going to get them customers from if there's, you know, marketing costs, you know, pay-per-click as an example, you know, there needs to be data and assumptions built up on that you know that are, that are reasonable to ensure that really it's not going to cost you more to acquire the customer than what you're going to earn from them as an example you know you have to look at your fixed and variable expenses quite often it's not just a we think it's going to cost us 10 grand a year we divide that by 12 startup costs quite often they don't get looked at all quite often there's certain front loaded costs that we get within a business so things like you know john davidge will have touched on some of it last week and he's, is legal things like preparing shareholders agreements i making sure the ip is protected etc so so clearly there's certain things that have to be thought about you know in, in quite a lot of detail when you're building these models rather than just we think it's going to be x we'll divide that up and take it from there i think i think the other thing which will i'll just slightly touch on because this is probably a whole kind of podcast in itself but as well as kind of just the the budget side of things you've, you've also got the accompanying cash flow and kind of the balance sheet which is you know a whole other area of this because just having you know a decent business from a, a revenue perspective you know sometimes you need to build in how how is that revenue going to get paid is it on credit terms as an example 30 60 90 days how are you going to pay your suppliers how much personnel are you going to need Are you going to need funding you know with it's that all saying cash is king so you could effectively do a you know, a, a revenue budget with a with a P and l account that's looked relatively healthy. But from a prof, from a cash flow perspective, it can be completely different. And that can mean the difference between the success or a failure of a business. I guess me and Elliot can do some joined up
2: thinking here because I, I, I think I kind of look at the inputs as well to a sales forecast. You know, Elliot's there talking about the outputs and tracking it. I think there are three pitfalls really for me, James. One is you kind of, you need a well thought through marketing plan in terms of lead generation, you know where the opportunity is going to come from. What is your marketing strategy? What's your target market? What's your communication? What's your messaging? In terms of lead generation, then prospecting. In terms of inbound and outbound activity, and again, people just kind of leap into it without any thought really. And then I think the, the, the kind of the, the third bit is then the sales methodology and the approach. And there's, there's you know lots of things out there. There's kind of Solution selling, consultative selling, spin selling. I mean, spin selling is one of my my favourites. Neil Rackham's approach, which is, is a few years old, but I think for a startup, it really gives you that focus. You need to know what you're selling to whom, what the problem you're solving, what their need is. You can't just kind of hit the phones or be sending out emails. So the pitfalls for me are not a well thought through marketing plan, haven't really thought through your prospecting and lead generation and the sales methodology. So all of those, I think, then feed into what Elliot's talked about. So there's a there's an input and output to you kind of building that revenue budget, and then there's loads of things out there as well. From a you know you look at the SaaS models that we spend most of our time focused on, um, you know, cost of acquisition, lifetime value, monthly recurring revenue, annual recurring revenue, acronym for everything churn,
1: retention.
2: They're a little bit down the track, but it's there's some non-financial measures as well, which I think is important to build
1: into your sales dashboard. I'd, I'd agree with that, whereas my point was kind of more on the output. Ian's picked up really well there on some of the earlier stage kind of stuff that you know should have really been covered up in kind of your vision and your kind of business plan, which normally would kind of be pretty much complete before you were even thinking about the kind of budgeting, forecasting side of things, if that's not kind of if, – if, if your product and your, and, and, and your marketplace – and your marketing strategy and everything else hadn't really been well thought out. You wouldn't even really be thinking about building up that financial model until some of that stuff had been covered off completely. The other thing as well, James, which I get Elliot highlighted, is cash flow. You know, if you produce a
2: nice, elegant, well thought through sales forecast and you've got the cost budget around it, and you know, you can turn around to someone and say, "Actually, I'm a hundred percent head of revenue," but your cash flow may be taking an absolute pasting. And, again, it's one of the things I've seen a lot of startup founders, they're keen to kind of make the sales so they kind of shred their pricing strategy and discount very early and then kind of say, you know, payment terms, rather in 14 days or 30 days, 30 days, extend it to 60 days just to win the deal. And, again, the come back to the, the modeling and the budgeting, you know, cash flow being, you know, your customer's paying you on 60 days' terms is a nightmare if your sales are growing month on month. So, again, I'd really encourage those startup founders to, to kind of really think through all the things we've, we've spoken on this podcast. And you need someone like Elliot, who's got a good commercial experience, who you can kind of say, well, yeah, I want you to be optimistic, but, you know, the, into the detail, back to your point, James, you know, what are your payment terms? And, and they're as much as part of the sales process and building that budget uh, as anything, quite frankly.
1: Around
0: having the right people there and having people who whether they've been there before and done it or have worked with other startups like yourself, like with Elliot, and having those people who know some of these pitfalls and know what to look at and looking at a budget and going, you are being optimistic here or have you considered? You know, It's the questions we mentioned as well with Guy, with the non-execs, If those people who are willing to give you that and have the experience to know what to look for?
1: Yeah. One, one thing we, we haven't kind of touched on really is people to involve really in the production of of this model and i think it's important that it's not kind of just you know a finance person and a founder you know you need other people with experience in the other areas of the business and i know we've we've touched on this in in other podcasts that you need that kind of good synergy and good relationships between sales marketing finance etc are all part of this you know chain and effect of, of, of generating revenue and generating profit so i think it's important that you know where people are going to own this forecast own this budget that you know people are all involved in you know the kind of senior areas of the business all have input into it into areas that are quite specific to them in order to produce something that's that's pretty accurate and that's you know people pretty much agree with that's achievable and i think if you have got more people involved in the production of it, people probably do tend, tend to be more realistic and um, because you, you're kind of held to account by others rather than just one person being at the top of the tree saying, well, this is what I think we're going to do and these are the reasons why. There's nobody to question them. And quite often, you know, the people that put these models together, they don't probably know a business that well into a certain degree because they can be more financially minded rather than commercially minded. So, You might not necessarily question the person that's giving giving them the data to input into it. So I think you need that kind of broad range of people that are commercially minded. They know the sector. They know their area of the business. And hence, you can get a more accurate kind of output from the inputs.
2: That's a good good point, Elliot. I think if the team are, I mean, you you know, obviously in a startup, it will be quite a small team. So a team collectively inputting to the creation and owning, owning it, and equally, looking at the you know the outcomes and success. The other point which springs to mind in doing that, and I've got direct experience at the minute with one of our startups, is that we built the product, we started to sell it, but actually customers are saying, "Well, if you did this, this, and this, we'd actually we'd, we'd buy it even more." And, and so we're coming back having made but we're selling a product we've not made now. And So scope creep, which is you know the perennial problem on building the product is also a challenge because, again, the salespeople come back and say, right, I've made a sale, but we need to do this, this, and this to the existing product to, to close it. And, again, that can be quite dangerous. So having that whole team approach, I think, you know, keeps everyone on track and everyone focused yeah. and everyone enjoying the success as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is obviously one thing we do at the startup factory. Quite often we're working with what we call solopreneurs, you know, a single, a single person founder. And obviously we've got various people in our team. You intend to look at more the commercial side. We've got people that look at the tech side. Obviously, I look at the finance side. And when we do kind of put these things together for some of our clients, we all have a little bit of input into it, don't we, as a, as a team, as well as the founder. So just, just because, you know, you're a, you're, a, you're a solo founder doesn't necessarily mean that there's not kind of people out there that can join your team, whether that be as, as you grow or whether it just be on an outsource basis. Initially, you're going to need that kind of level of support to To put something like that, like this, in place,
2: absolutely, and and it is, like, say, a team effort because I think when you start selling, you know, I'm, I'm not from a sales background, but I've kind of grown into it because I, I love the the energy and the focus and kind of the, that whole sales energy, and it is a validation of going mean, right back when you are in, you know, someone walked in through the door to come and see and say, "I've got an idea." When customers start paying, it really is for founders validation of their vision. And they way, on the way to kind of creating a sustainable venture. I think it's, it's an exciting time, but it can obviously, it can be rough and tough. And you've, you've got to be tenacious. You've, you've got to be stick at it and you've got to go for it. But you do need some methodology behind your sales and you need uh, some clarity behind your numbers. And I will always say kind of think about your pricing strategy, stick to your pricing strategy. Don't oversell, don't undersell, um, but go for it.
0: I think you've covered off all the takeaways there, Ian. I don't think there's anything left for me and Elliot. Well, I was
2: always known to eat all the takeaways, literally,
0: wasn't I? But there you go. Very true. Don't trust you around the, uh, what was it? It was the mixed fried rice and curry sauce back in the day. I mean,
2: you can talk of the Nando's, but
0: there you go. Very true. Very true. So thank you very much, chaps. Elliot, just in case anyone wants to get in touch about trying to build uh, their first revenue budget,
1: What's your details going to know? You gave them to us in December last time, but well, I mentioned LinkedIn this time because I didn't mention that last time. So you can find <laughs> me—you uh, can find me on LinkedIn, Elliot Smith, not just an accountant. Or my email address is Elliot, which is E W L I O T at streamlineaccountancy.co.uk.
0: Thank you very much. So, Ian, I think I'm dragging you back for another one next week, where we are talking to Mister Ian McCartney, who's going to be talking all about. Moving from the corporate life into the startup world. So, very much like we had with Tom, but rather than academia, actually working in a company and how that, how it goes for working for yourself, basically. Yeah,
2: just to give you a bit of a trailer, Ian had a, a career at Kellogg's in a very senior role in supply chain. And he's got some amazing stories about uh, working overseas. But yeah, the, the kind of the journey and the flip from corporate life to uh, being a, a founder. Looking forward
0: to it. Mm. Well, thank you very much, chaps. And thank you, everyone. We'll catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Bye. I think that just about wrap things up here. If you have any thoughts or questions on anything we said today, get in touch, whether that be through our Twitter at RealTSF or email at hello at startupbattery.tech or feel free to drop in for a coffee and a chat. As ever, thanks for listening.